Trump brought in blacks, gays, Latinos, and others who completely transformed the conservative movement into something that is fresh and new and different and more appealing. But his absence has brought about some really nutty divisions that are currently rattling the movement. Some black conservatives aren't black enough, and others think that there are just too many gays. Well, I have got something to say about all of it, and I'm going to tell you right now. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. A couple of weeks ago in Orlando, Florida, the Conservative Political Action Conference was held, or CPAC. Um, I have been to CPAC before. CPAC is a pretty cool event. It is a, an event where basically all conservative media celebrities, political influencers, congressmen and women, you've got so many people that are such a major part of the Republican Party, of the conservative movement in one space. I first went a couple of years ago when I first started with Turning Point USA. I obviously went last year as well. This year, I did not go to CPAC because I had a ski trip that had already been planned. And also, to keep it 100% real, I was not in invited to CPAC. So that, that is why I did not go. The most interesting thing that happened at CPAC, in my opinion, wasn't Trump speaking, wasn't all these political personalities. On that CPAC panel, they had uh, black conservatives talking about basically black conservative issues. And they went into a conversation that I think is actually purely fascinating. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen to this clip. And I want you to really get the sense of, of, of what is trying to be said. And I really want to react to this because this is interesting. I think they've been able to do that by being more inclusive. And I think that's something that we can learn in the conservative party. There's not just one type of black conservative. And I feel like that's where we failed over the last four years. We propped up one type of black conservative. And just because white people like them, it was like, oh, yeah, we love her. Oh, God, she has her own thinking. You know, oh, yeah, woo. But that wasn't necessarily who black you know, the black people really identify with. And I like to kind of make this analogy. A lot of people are familiar with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Now this is a story all, all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Okay, just say Carlton and Will were both conservatives. Carlton could go to Bel-Air and he could talk to the people of Bel-Air all day long, but you could not send Carlton to Philly to talk to those people. You would have had to send Will to talk to the people who had the same type of life experiences yeah. that Will had. Yeah. So when it comes to conservatives, you know, being conservative, stop propping up Carlton Banks thinking that Carlton is going to be the one <laughs> to be able to communicate with the, the wills of the conservative party. You're going to have to prop up the wheels so that they can speak the language that people understand and share experiences with. And I think that's how we feel. I feel like the Democrats do a very good job of making sure they have people that represent all around. And yep. that's what we need to do better as conservatives. You can't take Carlton to Philly going, it's not unusual. No, that's not going to work. All right, so watch out, you errant Negroes that are speaking too properly and dressing up too nice and going on cable news. The black enough police are on the case. So when I listened uh, to that clip and when I listened to this conversation that was going, that was my immediate thought. 
Uh, my immediate thought right here was that now on the conservative side, now there are people that are that are African American conservatives, whatever, that are now trying to police the blackness of other black conservatives that that have platforms or that have clout or that have media attention, whatever it is that you want to call it. This Shamika thing is very interesting, and, and Shamika I've met, she's lovely. We talk, so this is no shade or anything like that. But I think it's really interesting to kind of break down the conversation that's being had here. So first of all, it's fairly obvious, even though this was the verbal version of a subtweet that she was obviously talking about, you know, somebody like Candace Owens, which is fine, because apparently this is somebody, Candace Owens, has basically exploded the door wide open for black conservatism in a way that had never been seen before her. Um, so she is going to be the target of a lot of hate. And obviously, like sometimes this hate comes from from the left, but also sometimes this hate comes from the right. And it is very interesting that Shamika talked about this whole Will versus Carlton debate. So the idea is that if you're a Will conservative, then you're of the streets and you know, you're about the people and you are quote unquote stereotypically and authentically black, right? And if you're a, a quote unquote Carlton conservative, that means that, you know, you're lame, you're weak, you're not cool, you're not whatever. And you must have had like a different background from these quote unquote Will conservatives because she also brought up this, uh, this alleged background. That the world conservatives have. And the very interesting thing about that is that for me, when I listened to it, I didn't completely take it personally because these people probably either they were thinking about me, they weren't. I didn't think it personally. But it made me think of all the times that I was in high school where people are telling you that you are not black enough for some reason. And black conservatives, we talk about this all the time when it comes to the education system and these kids that are performing very highly in, in their schooling or whatever are told that they quote unquote act white, right? And so we always fight against that. But I find it interesting that now, even within the conservative movement, that we are sort of policing the blackness of black conservative influencers or black conservatives that kind of have a voice in the movement. So I found that very interesting. And what I also find interesting is the assumption that if someone looks or dresses or acts a certain type of way, then they have had a certain type of background. And even to bring this to Candace Owens, and Candace Owens is very put together, very polished, knows what she's talking about, obviously very highly intelligent. Candace Owens also spent some time in the projects when she was young, right? So I find that very interesting that there is this assumption that people like her, people like me, per se, have come from some sort of um, elite background. And my background personally with which, if you know, if you if you've read my book, Always a Soldier, is that it was very uh, lower middle class. It was very working class. It was very failing public schools, going into military, all of that stuff. And when I was first starting out in this, I, I found it very interesting that there were two lines of attack that people used on me. The first line of attack was that I was some rich trust fund kid, which was never true. And the second line of attack was that I was not a black American, was that I looked a certain type of way. And so that I was obviously uh, mixed or obviously like uh, Dominican or something like that. That is also a thing that is not true because both my parents are black. So that is just a very interesting conversation. It's a very interesting debate that we're having right now. And so now it's this Will versus Carlton debate. And so which one of these people can better be utilized to speak to the African-American community? And when I'm unpacking her words in this clip, what I also find interesting is who needs to be propped up. So it's this idea that certain people are being propped up and certain people are not being propped up by who I have no idea. But I think it's a fallacy. 
because I think that most people that are successful propped themselves up. And as conservatives, we talk a lot about personal responsibility. And we talk a lot about bootstrapping. I know I, I damn sure talk a lot about bootstrapping. And I know that that me personally, and even looking at um, Candace's career and looking at my career and where I'm at and all that stuff, there was no group of, of GOP operatives in, in some sort of dark, smoky room that was saying that, you know what we really, you know what we really need to push the conservative movement and the Republican Party to the next level? We need to find like this black gay guy and we're really going to prop him up and we're really going to promote him. So that is just something that never happened and something that doesn't happen. And in terms of Candace, the only thing that propped her up was the culture because Kanye West, number one, Candace was around before Kanye, but this is this is like let's keep it all the way real. There was Candace Owens' career before Kanye, and there were Candace Owens' career after Kanye. And so she was doing her thing, and she was already very highly intelligent before that. But when Kanye West tweeted about Candace Owens, it put her on a global cultural level that literally I could be on Fox News for ten years and not get to that level of global sort of cultural cachet that Kanye had afforded to Candace in that moment. And it wasn't until Kanye, the culture, basically elevated Candace that the conservative movement got behind her like that. So it wasn't this idea that there are these people that just loved her so much and that obviously, you know, this was appealing to white people or whatever, and then this became the thing for the movement. So I think that that aspect of the debate it's kind of a fallacy. And I think that honestly, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment, is that there is a, a void that is happening right now. And the void that is going on right now, it is the absence of Trump. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But I think that the presence of Trump brought a lot of people together that may or may not have the same methods to try to get to the same place. And the absence of him is going to bring out kind of like a lot of a lot of this pettiness. And I think that obviously I, I really do think that the argument is kind of petty and it's also counterproductive. And it is also an argument, this sort of Carlton conservative versus will conservative. Either you're of the people and you spend the time in the streets and you can talk to the streets or you're not black enough and, and you're just being propped up by white people because you make them feel more comfortable. It was very interesting to me about this conversation is that this is very much playing a leftist game. This is what the left does. The left uses this not black enough argument as a tactic not only to control the voices that they would like to control, but also to elevate other voices at the expense of whatever is deemed as quote unquote not black enough. And so I, I think that that's very interesting. And I was listening to um, to Brandon Tatum. Uh, he he was doing a YouTube live, and it came up on my my Instagram feed. He said, and I'm not entirely sure if I, I if I agree, but this is what Brandon Tatum said. He said that there are some people who are black first, and then Republican, and there are some people who are Republican first, and then black second. And that's actually fascinating because I'd never really thought about it like that. I knew when I was first coming in, I knew that. I agreed with Republican policies for the most part, particularly with illegal immigration, uh, particularly with, uh, you know, border security, things like that. And particularly with this idea that love for America and love for this country is not something that can be that should be closed off to me just because I'm black. And so I came to this not as somebody that 
thinks black, 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 black all the time. But if we can get black people to think a little bit differently about some of these things, then it may elevate us in general. And I still believe that to this very day. But Brandon Tatum seems to think that there is a difference between people who go Republican first and people who go black first. And I, and I really think there is. And I really do kind of agree with him in that. But just to, to close this all out, because this is such a, a broad topic, it can go literally, I can do an entire episode on this, and maybe I should do another one in the future. As a matter of fact, maybe I should bring Shamika on and speak to her. That's a really good idea. Maybe I should do this. So we will have this conversation more in depth, uh, and we can get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, I think she'll come on. I think it'll be a great conversation. I really do think that right now we need to be very careful about us trying to label, oh, well, you're not conservative enough, or you're not black enough, or this type of black person is not black enough, just because this type of black person has white fans. Because, and to wrap this up, the danger to this is that some of the people that are making this argument, even on the right, you wonder if they're making this argument because this is what they truly believe, or are they making this argument to appeal to African-Americans on the left who think that black conservatives hate ourselves and them and everybody that's black? Either way, you shake it. So to wrap this up, you can never really make your arguments based on trying to appeal to the left. I was into that for a little bit, like a couple of years back. And when you realize that these people fundamentally hate you and want to destroy you, uh, whether you're a Carlton conservative or a Will conservative, then you won't engage in arguments that I think are counterproductive. And speaking of counterproductive arguments, it is not just the black enough police that are arguing the conservative movement. There are now people that are digging up this age-old argument that gay conservatives do not belong in the party. I will tell you who they are and what they are saying right after the break. The conservative movement in the Republican Party before Trump and the conservative movement in the Republican Party after Trump are two very, very different things. Before Trump, you had people like Paul Ryan. You had people like Mitt Romney, very prominent. These are people that you would now call rhinos. These are people that... Uh, seemed to love losing, that never really got anything done, that never really impacted the culture with Republican policies because people like Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan never could do that. Now, after Trump and during Trump, you saw a lot of different types of people come into to this movement, into this party. You saw uh, black people come in. You saw gay people come in. You saw Latinos come in. You saw so many different voices that were coming in. And they were united around President Trump and around his America First agenda, right? And also, a lot of people were united by defending him against unfair attacks. We know that President Trump just got a, a very, very unfair shake from the mainstream media, from the fake news media, whatever you want to call it. And as we see in about, what, the first six weeks of this Biden administration, we now see how biased it really was. Now, Trump's electoral defeat has left a void in this movement, particularly among people that came into this movement because of Donald Trump and didn't really have anything else to offer outside of promoting, defending, you know, wrapping their arms around Donald Trump at all times. Now, post-Trump, 
some of these people don't have anything to offer outside of that. And some of these people are really struggling trying to find their voice and trying to find their space. And now some of these people have seized on a different idea. And their idea is that we should just become super anti-gay and that's going to be my identity. Now, this is the identity that a lot of people are, are, are sort of seizing on right now. And there's a lot of different influencers. There was um, some woman who I'd never heard of that started attacking me. This guy, the, the MAGA rapper, um, this guy was attacking me. And what started this? And what I think is interesting that, that who started this was none other than Rick Grinnell. Rick Grinnell. If you do, I shouldn't have to explain to any of you who Rick Grinnell is. You should already know. Rick Grinnell has been a gay Republican for decades now and has been fighting this fight to get gay Republicans represented in this party for basically, like at this point, probably longer than I've been alive. He's a legend. He's an icon. So this is what happened. This is <laughs> Rick started this um, this argument on Twitter. What he did was, and this is going back to CPAC, he shared a photo of a transgender woman that was working the Law Cabinet Republicans booth at CPAC. Now, we all know Law Cabinet Republicans, the gay and lesbian Republican group, have been around forever. It's the, the oldest gay and lesbian Republican group in existence. Rick has been around for a long time. Rick is, Rick, I, I count Rick as a friend and mentor of mine. He was trying to be inclusive. I understand that. The point that Rick was trying to make was that this transgender woman is working the Log Hammer Republican booth because we think that this party can be for everybody, even LGBT people. I, LGBT people, I get it, right? What this photo did was it sort of activated this loony sort of very far right fringe that exists in the party that I have a little bit of experience with. Um, this fringe, they, they kind of coalesce around these, uh, these quote unquote leaders that are like, not only like homophobic, but like super anti-Semitic and like super racist and all this other stuff. So these are people that coalesce around these, these very, very fringy people. And so these people started attacking Rick and by extension, most like any other gay Republican, gay conservative that has a voice right now, including me. Now the history with these people. Uh, if you followed me long enough, you'd realize or you'd know that about a year and a half ago, I was on a, um, a TPUSA tour with Charlie Kirk. And, and at this point in time, these people had been um, going from event to event to event to try to disrupt Turning Point USA events because we're Con Inc. And, and we're rhinos and we're all of this other stuff. So this sort of far right fringe kind of, you know, you know, attacked me with, with weird questions during this thing. And so I they attacked me for three weeks and then they just kind of like moved on and I went back to work as what I do. And what's going on here? And then this is what Rick did inadvertently, mind you. I, obviously, he didn't mean to do this, but he kind of connected us with the sort of far left LGBT alphabet soup fringe, which is now what transgender people are, are kind of being connected to in the minds of these very, very far right people. And so now by, you know, Rick tweeting at that, that photo, being inclusive, by the way, because in, in which is fine, in my opinion, and this is why, you know, I'm problematic, whatever, in my opinion, I, the thing about it is I do not care if somebody is transgender, and I, I personally don't care if somebody is transgender. I don't care if they're transgender or Republican, right? 
sometimes people that are transgender and claim to be Republicans have views that are diametrically opposed to the larger issue stuff that the conservative movement is fighting the radical trans fringe on, namely who is or isn't a woman, namely um, the right of, of women and girls to their own sex-segregated spaces, the right of women and girls to their own sports, like all of that stuff, right? So in my opinion... If there's a trans person that's a Republican, you just have to be on board with that stuff because this is what LGB identified Republicans are fighting against. This is what we're, we're, we're literally fighting against right now. And we're fighting against the crazy far left alphabet soup fringe that is saying that three-year-olds can be transgender. They're saying that drag queen story hour is a good thing. Um, they're saying that I think one of the idiots that was trying to come for me, I think she just got banned for Twitter uh, from sharing something with one of these uh, loony far left trans gender non-conforming activists said something about little girls being kinky it's just weird right this guy's like a lock minute or whatever it's like it's weird but he said it um it's just very very weird right and so the far right fringe connects fairly mainstream republican gays and lesbians with that far left loony alphabet soup fringe and they do this for a lot of different reasons. They do this to clout chase. They do this to make themselves relevant. Um, they do this because some of them just aren't popping now that Trump is not in office because they don't they don't really have a, a, a breadth of knowledge or a depth of knowledge to really speak to politics and political issues. And honestly, to tell you the truth, some of these people aren't super interested in politics, right? Um, people that are good at this, people that are really successful at this have a very like a very high interest in politics and for some of these people this is a clip or this is something that uh, Kurt Schlichter wrote for Town Hall and this I think is brilliant and I think that he said it even better than I can and this is a, a column that he wrote for Town Hall called the GOP is not going to divide over gay Republicans he wrote he writes this this Kurt Schlichter there is nothing that would make the left happier than for the GOP to leave the votes of a huge portion of the gay community on the table, but that's not going to happen. See, the Republican base looked around, saw it better stop being so finicky about allies, and it changed. We are not going to win by subtraction. We're going to win by, addic by addition. But, and this is the quote right here I love, there are some people who see a lane for personal prominence they can't otherwise earn through refighting battles that we called a truce on years ago. And that line right there is every single far-right person that comes for gay Republicans in a nutshell. This is literally all they have. This is all they have to stand on. And this is not a question about religious freedom. This is not the question about people's right to say, if you're a Christian and your God-given, your strongly held belief is that I am going to hell because I am gay, there is nothing that I can say or do that is going to relieve you of that idea, relieve you of that belief, nor am I interested in, in doing so. I have no interest, like, uh, I have no interest in fighting this battle like some of the other gay Republicans in the party who sometimes want to almost beg the far-right fringe for permission to exist and for permission to be in that space. That is something that I have absolutely zero interest in. I don't beg for 
permission to be in spaces. I put who I am out there and the people respond. So that is what that is. So you cannot tell me that I cannot be um, a Republican or a leader in the conservative or Republican movement or an influencer in the movement because you do not decide that. The people have already decided that. And that's the great thing about the social media culture that we live in is that the people decide. So the people that have decided to follow me and other gay Republicans, the people that look at somebody like Rick Grinnell and know that Rick Grinnell is a badass that would make a great governor of California, regardless of his sexual orientation. So the people that have invited gay Republicans like me and like Rick and like David Leatherwood and like all of these different people into the movement have already made the decision that gay Republicans have a place in this movement. So to close the door on that little topic, gay Republicans are here. Gay Republicans are not going anywhere. And to the far right fringe who hates us, and wants so badly for us to go back into a closet and for us to cower and disappear into non-existence. I leave you with this. We are the only thing that is standing between America and the far-left, loony, LGBT, alphabet soup fringe that wants to destroy women's spaces, that wants to make transgender three-year-olds a thing that are, by the way, subsidized by the federal government and taxpayer money, and also would like for Drag Queen Story Hour to be something that we see in every elementary school across the country. So my advice to all of you guys is that we are going to be here, we're not going anywhere, and you should probably start showing us a little bit of respect. Next up, you already knew the Democrats' H.R. 1, quote-unquote, For the People Voting Act is nothing more than a cynical power grab, but there is some behind-the-scenes maneuvering to make it even more far-left. I will tell you who they now want to vote after the break. Okay, this uh, episode has been messy, dramatic enough. Let's get into some politics, right? So look, you guys already know about H.R. 1. This is the Democrats' latest uh, far-left power grab that is designed as uh, expansion of voting rights. You already know that they want same-day voter registration. They want a vote by mail, an expanded vote by mail, even more so than what happened during the 2020 election. So they want even more of that stuff. And they also would like to make it even easier for some of their preferred demos to vote, right? So, you know, they got same-day voting registration. They got all this stuff. But there was a little-known amendment that was added into this that I found so fascinating. And it was so fascinating that I had never heard about this before. So I did a show on Fox News called The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton. Um, Great show, great guy. And we were talking about H1. And we were obviously having the conversation that had been had about H1 before. This is something that that people had seen. But I, as I was doing my research for this segment, I found this amendment that was actually very interesting. So there is an amendment that was added to this H.R. 1 bill by freshman representatives Cory Bush and Mondaire Jones. And this amendment was meant to, and mind you, listen to this, this amendment would like 
for currently incarcerated prisoners with felony convictions to vote in federal elections from prison. This amendment would like for currently incarcerated prisoners that have felony convictions to vote by prison in federal elections. This is crazy. This is obviously insane. And I, I, wanna, I want you to listen to, so this is a quote, and I want to break this down a little bit because I didn't have enough time to get into this in the show. And I want to, there was language that she used because, you know, they're all about language. And this is something that Mondaire Jones said. Every human being then deserves to be able to vote their best interest. Anything less than that is inhumane and a form of slavery. Indeed, it is the new Jim Crow. This is what Mondaire Jones said about this amendment that they wanted to add to the Voting Rights Act. So let's break that down a little bit. Every human being then deserves to be able to vote their best interest. In whose best interest? In, in, in what political party's best interest would it be for people who are currently incarcerated for felony convictions to vote for. Let's think about that for a second. Would it be the party of law and order? Would it be the party that supports police? Or just, you know, hear me out here. Would somebody who is currently in prison for a felony conviction, would their best interest be to vote for the party that believes in defunding the police? Would it be to vote for the party that uh, that hates the police? Would it be to vote for the party that wants not only to defund the police, but also bailed out people in prison that participated in the riots in the summer of 2020. In fact, our Vice President Kamala Harris promoted this. So who's in whose best interest would it be to vote for Democrats? Obviously prisoners, which is obviously why they wanted to push this, this, this agenda, this amendment, right? So the amendment failed, thank God. Uh, the amendment failed something by, I believe it was, I've got it right here. And this is, by the way, from a website called theappeal.org. Um, the amendment failed in a 97 to 328 vote, right? Not a single Republican voted for this, thank God. If we have a Republican voting for this, they need to be primary because they're not a Republican. I don't know what they are, but no Republican would ever vote for that. And it also failed among Democrats. But this is what Cori Bush said. She said, this fight is not over. It is only the beginning. The victory was in getting those 97. Look who those 97 are. Those are a mixture of what our caucus is made of. Not just progressives, not just people who claim to be progressive, not just people who look like me. So this is where we are right now. And this is, this is scary on a lot of different levels. First of all, and give me a moment to be problematic and give me a moment to read Republicans right now. Because look, Republicans have great ideas. We suck at branding. And the thing about Democrats right now is that they have terrible ideas, but at least they have ideas. At least Democrats have ideas. They are bad ideas. They are ideas that will destroy the country. There are ideas that are obviously only there to, to help support them, to help them win elections. But damn it, at least Democrats have ideas. When is the last time that you have heard about any one of these Republican freshman Congress members, they get all of this attention, they get all of these, um, you know, all these Twitter followers, all this money, all this clout, whatever. 
When is the last time you've really heard of them promoting an amendment? Of, of promoting some actual legislation that is something they believe in? When is the last time? You probably can't think of one, can you? Because I cannot. But I can tell you when's the last time somebody dropped a, a, a video that got a couple million views on social media. I can tell you when, when's the last time they pulled a social media stunt for Twitter and so they can get another round of press. They can get bad press from the left and good press from the right. Thank God, you know, more Twitter followers, more money, whatever. It's a joke. And the joke is right now that we have a bunch of children in Congress on both sides, mind you. They are children. But at least the children that are playing in the sandbox on the left, at least they have actual ideas. And that is what annoys me about the Republicans right now is because we always seem to be pushing against something that the left is pushing for. Instead of saying, these are our ideas about school choice. These are our ideas about how to protect the Second Amendment. These are our ideas about, you know, God, civics and how to love America and all of these things. These are our ideas about border security. We're never talking about our ideas. We're always pushing against whatever the left is doing. And let me tell you something, Republicans, conservatives, anybody that's listening, you guys better wise up, all right? Because while you guys are pushing against the terrible ideas that the Democrats have already put in the bill, that, that's up for vote, by the way, they're already making amendments that are pushing things even further left. So they have already pushed the conversation to the level that is already beyond what you are doing and beyond anything what you are saying, and you do not even realize it. I had to like do some deep Google search, searching to even find this because nobody is talking about it. This is why Republicans lose. This is why you guys lost the House. This is, this is why you guys don't have the Senate. This is why Republicans don't have the presidency. This is why. Now look, you can complain about election integrity and you can complain about the 2020 election and you can do that stuff all you want. But if you don't start focusing on ideas, if you don't start focusing on ways to promote your agenda to new people, if you don't start focusing, Republicans in Congress or whatever, on things that you actually believe instead of focusing on being against the terrible ideas of the left, you are going to continue to lose. So while you're wasting all of this time and energy pulling social media stunts, while you're wasting all of this time and energy um, talking about why same-day voting is bad, same-day voting registration is bad, voter ID is bad, all of that other stuff, these quote-unquote progressives, these far-left people, have already flipped the conversation. And by the time you realize the conversation has changed, it will already be too late. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow Problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. <laughs>